Grace, mercy, and peace to you. From God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He speaks and there's light, there's land, there's water, there's trees and shrubs, fish and flying things, animals too. He speaks and carefully and creatively, building to a climax, he goes ahead, forms man from the ground, breathes into his nostrils, and he becomes a living being. The Lord gives this man authority over Authority to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion. This creation is for Adam and Eve, and again and again he declares it to be good, holy, and perfect. There is no sin, there is no death, there is no suffering. Everything works the way it is supposed to. Now, Martin Luther, he's very fanciful when it comes to creation and the Garden of Eden. He talks about how it is a perfect world, so perfect that, that Adam goes ahead and speaks to the lions, and he go, they go ahead and bow and kneel like puppies, and bears do the same. Luther writes how you would marvel at the mice scurrying around and the flies and how beautiful their design and you would adore them. There's no need for houses because the elements wouldn't inflict harm. There's no need for clothes because of the same. No shame, no guilt, no jealousy or lust. Twins, triplets would abound. Childbirth would only be a joy these suggestions are enough to make one laugh, saying that's totally impossible. It's a fantasy land. Because you and I can only perceive of what a perfect world might be and how a sinless world might work in our fallen minds made small. Creation only functions because it is dying and we can't imagine it any other way. Since the fall, all of creation is like, wait a minute, the Lord doesn't stop there. Though he goes ahead and entrusts it all to Adam and Eve, he goes ahead and designates a specific place for them that will be their home. It will be the place where they worship. It will be the place where he walks with them. No, creation is not like some science project that when he's finished, he goes ahead and sits down like before an ant farm and see how it's going to work. Oh, no. Our God is a servant. He created Adam and Eve to care for them, to preserve them, and to give them every good gift. In all of this, in all creation, this patch of ground is special. If all of it is perfect, this is better than perfect because it is where God dwells. He dwells with his people and they with him 
He makes that place an Eden. And what he makes is a garden. The Hebrew Old Testament word for garden is gone. It gets translated into Greek as paradisus, which we know as paradise. Something that was promised to the criminal on the cross, as we heard Sunday afternoon in the Bach Cantata. But this wonderful place, as you know, didn't last very long. Adam and Eve fall prey to the serpent's temptation. They eat the fruit to be like God. Their sin wrecks Eden. It poisons the universe and puts all of creation on a path to destruction. Pain in childbirth, strife in marriage, thorns, thistles, heavy toil, sweat, and death. Adam and Eve can no longer dwell with God. Sinners cannot look at God and live. Adam and Eve are cast out. And cherubim sat at the entrance with fiery swords to guard guard the entrance. Paradise is lost. But the Lord, the Lord, He is faithful. He promises that the seed of the woman would come to suffer and to save. Though He cast them out of the garden into the wild, He goes with them, but unseen. You know, there are worse places than outside of Eden. There's a place called Egypt. And eventually God's people end up there. But God rescues his people and directs them to the promised land. Oh, it won't be Eden, but it will be Eden-like. Edenish, if you want to say. Yes, and what, it'll be a land of milk and honey, a fruit, grapes, it would be wonderful. All that lies between them and the promised land is a wilderness. But the Lord is there, and he's patient, leading the pe people by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when they stop and they set camp, he dwells there with the tabernacle. Likely, if you come to that part in Exodus, you'd probably start skimming because of with all the details about the tabernacle and how it was supposed to be designed with all the hooks in the curtains and the, the posts and the bases and so on and so forth. How many loops each curtain was supposed to have. But if you slow down and read it carefully, you'll notice something. The lampstand? has buds like almond blossoms. And there are cherubim that are placed over the ark and woven into the tapestry. And the priestly garments, they're woven the pattern of pomegranates and 
So when Solomon builds his temple, those images continue and he adds lilies and palms into the tapestry and the bronze. You see, the Lord is sending a message. God is faithful. He dwells with them, though he is hidden for now. But with the Lord, there's a promise, and where the Lord is, there's a way back to paradise. Did Israel go ahead and endure the days of travel with patience? Did they see each oasis along the way and rejoice how how God was providing for them? Well, that's not how sinful nature works, is it? No, every hardship is a reason to panic, to rebel against, and calling God unfair. Every oasis, well, that's the least that God could do, right? Oh, and if we only were back in Egypt, you know, where there was always a pot of meat and free cucumbers. Yeah. A short trip ends up 40 years long because of rebellion and doubt. And that, drop, and that generation drops dead in the desert. Nevertheless, God delivers his people to the promised land and delivers the whole land to them. One would hope that they would see how God is being faithful in this land of milk and honey and say, the Lord has kept his promises. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before we get into Eden. But we know better, don't we? The history of Israel is filled with ungrateful sinners rebelling against the Lord at work to save them. And the more ungrateful sinners become, the more barren. And the world around, or the more the world around becomes barren. And yet, as you heard in Isaiah 51, For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her deserts like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. All of this culminates in the most ugliest places on earth, at a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. You see, God has come to dwell with man far more closely than in a cloud or pillar of fire or even a tent. He has come to man to save. God had created man and breathed into him the breath of life and put him in paradise. Man seizes God in the flesh and drives him out of the city and crucifies him and squeezes the very breath of life right out of him. But Jesus is not crucified alone, right? You know that. No, he's crucified between two criminals. And one of them is very vicious. Oh, he's a grumbler like in Exodus to the extreme. He's guilty of a crime. He's guilty of sin. But he only wants to use Jesus 
to be alleviated from his punishment so that he can go on sinning and just die another day. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Oh, isn't that ironic? Because the Christ is here not to be saved, but to save by not saving himself. But the other thief, or the other criminal, rebukes the other criminal. Don't you fear God? For we are under the same sentence of condemnation, and yet justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That confession is better than Adam's. After he ate the fruit, the criminal acknowledges his guilt and the righteousness of God. His confession is astounding as he looks at the bloodied and bruised body of Jesus that is on his last breath where the next stop is the tomb. And he declares that Jesus will not only live, but he will reign. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise! On the hill of death where man murders God, God tells the thief that paradise is restored. By his death, Jesus suffers the wrath of God for sinners of the world. He dies in the place of sinners, and what do the cherubim do but sheathe their sword? And heaven is once again opened. And then the body of Jesus is laid in a tomb, and it is in a garden. God, who had breathed into Adam in a garden, now lays breathless and dead in a garden at the hands of an Adam. But you know, you know, he, and again, he will rise in three days and he will raise his people from the dead. You and I, we really don't know what paradise is like, do we? The best we can know of it is that perfect creation. It's not like this one. While you all might have your happy place, you know, where you go to, yeah, get some solitude, <laughs> there's still trouble. It's still there. You know better than to play with bears, right? Even lions. <laughs> you wouldn't play with them like puppies. And the beauty of flies and mice, <laughs> when they come and visit you in your home, heavens no, and you certainly would not adore them. No, you see the wages of sin. You see it on the... how it takes a toll in your family and your friends. 
You see the corruption in your own body and mind. And everything in this life testifies that <clears throat> this is not paradise. Paradise is lost. This world is dying. And the grave is the end. But the Lord is faithful. He accompanies you unseen. Where the gates of paradise were closed to you, they are open because of Jesus. He is the vine in the perfect garden who comes from heaven to earth and he joins you to himself. Oh yeah, apart from him you could do nothing, but with him you are raised to life forever. He created all things good, bore all of our evil, our sin, our guilt, our afflictions on the cross. And there in the waters of baptism, you've been to Golgotha, you've been to the tomb, but you are also joined in the resurrection. And he who planted all things good, good for food in the garden, now uses as we do on Sunday, grain and grapes to give you his body and blood. He who spoke and created all things speaks his word of forgiveness to you. And he who breathed into the nostrils of Adam gives you his Holy Spirit. So until he comes again in glory, the Lord still dwells with us in word and sacrament. That is why the divine service is to be as close to paradise as we ever can get and we can ever find on earth. For don't settle for dying, for a dying world and the death that follows. Don't settle for temporary seductions of this wilderness life to send you back into captivity for you have been set free from sin and you're only passing through this desert in Christ the way is open for God and man to dwell together and he will wipe away every tear from every eye in Christ paradise is restored for you amen the peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus.